Welcome to the Fit and Fierce podcast, a show to inspire and empower you and remind you that we're all a little messed up and that's okay. I'm your host, Megan. And in my personal journey, I realized that the fiercest thing I ever did was to ask for help. I no longer wanted my story to rule me. I was going to own it and share it. And throughout each one of these episodes, I want you to remember that being flawed doesn't make you less. It makes you more. Hey, this is Amy. And Megan. And we had this wild idea that's now becoming a reality. We've created the Nourish Your Soul Retreat. If you're ready to give yourself the gift of turning inward in order to awaken all parts of you, to spend a day tapping into your creative feminine power, intuition, and nature, and learn how to fully embody your knowing and capacity for healing. This retreat is for you if you crave real connection with nature and other soulful women who are on a similar path to nourishing their mind, body, and soul. Join us for the Nourish Your Soul Retreat at the beautiful Twin Bluffs Farm in Stockholm, Wisconsin on September 7th, 2019 from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Check out the show notes for the link to our website and the full details. We hope to see you there. I have had the pleasure of interviewing some astounding women, and you all know you have heard those interviews, the ones that tear at your heartstring and empower you and inspire you and just make you feel really good. I love everybody that I get to talk to, but there's something really special that happens when I get to sit down and talk to people that I actually know in real life. And today, my guest, Dr. Danielle Ott, Ooh, it was a good one. Um, She runs us through what it is like to live with chronic Lyme. Not only live with chronic Lyme, but run a business, have a toddler, be pregnant, have be a wife, be a person, be a friend, and try to do all of this when the symptoms that she described were so crippling, it would hold any of us down. And she talks a lot about thinking that these are faults when in reality she is one of the strongest women that I know. I cannot emphasize that enough. To hear her story is amazing and to know her in person is even better. You guys sit back and listen. She has some great information on what Lyme is really busting some myths on things that we've been told for so long and how many people it impacts and you get a glimpse into what it feels like to live in a body that no longer feels like your own. Welcome back everybody. I'm so excited for you all to join me and my guest today, Dr. Danielle Ott. She is this pretty astounding woman and you're going to be really blown away with her story and what she has to say. So welcome Danielle. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me. You're very welcome. I will say, listeners, um, this is the first time that I've interviewed somebody while looking at them and, like, I'm getting a little nervous and, like, a little awkward. So who knows what you guys are in for today. It could be a very awkward treat, but it'll be good. Um, As always, Danielle, I like to have my guests introduce themselves. So why don't you go ahead and let the listeners know who you are? Yes. Um, So once again, my name is Danielle. I'm a chiropractic physician. I've been practicing for about five years in my own practice. 
I'm in a small town in southeastern Minnesota and um, I am married and I have um, a toddler and a little baby on the way and I have a very um, intense passion for um, holistic health care and whole body approach to treatment so um, in my clinic, um, not only am I a doctor of chiropractic, but I also have a master's degree in nutrition. And we really utilize nutrition to heal the body um, and just trying to help people be as optimally healthy as they possibly can be. So anybody who knows me or listens to this knows, first of all, why I love Danielle. Like that is my wheelhouse and my jam right there. Um, and then you hear everything that she just described herself as this amazing mother, a business owner, a wife, all of this. And on top of that, as if you could add any more to the pile that is on her plate, she is right now going through chronic Lyme treatment. And so I thought it would be really interesting to get the ins and outs of what that really means for somebody who is in it right now and explain to us a little bit more as we're hearing more and more about Lyme if you're having signs and symptoms, or if you know somebody, what it is like to deal with that every single day. Yes, definitely. So um, I thought I could start with um, just kind of some facts about Lyme's disease. A lot of people are blown away. Um, it's, there's a lot of misinformation out there too, so kind of busting up some of those myths. Um, and so Lyme's disease, so we are in southeastern Minnesota, so different areas are going to have different prevalence rate, but we are considered a high-risk population. And that means that one in four individuals in our community has been exposed to Lyme's disease and other tick-borne diseases. Now, that can sound pretty scary, but we are exposed to diseases fairly often, and they don't actually express themselves. Our bodies are able to fight them off naturally. You kind of have to, what I consider the perfect storm, for a disease to really take place. That's why it affects some people and maybe not another. So even though one in four people have been exposed to the disease, not one in four people will necessarily develop the disease. But it's important here because um, if you do express Lyme's disease, that is a big part of the population that's probably being undiagnosed. So just being aware that you're in a high-risk environment is very um, crucial. A lot of northern Minnesota is high-risk as well, and all along the river valleys are going to be high-risk populations. And when you talk about misdiagnosed or not diagnosed, that's something that you can very much identify with. Yes. So I was misdiagnosed for about 10 years. 10 years. Yes. And I had went to specialists and I had went to blood specialists and I'll kind of get into this a little bit later, but it is a very, um, not very well known disease, even amongst providers. And so misdiagnosis is very common. Mm. And so just being aware of the fact that it is heavily populated in this area um, and bringing awareness to the issue can hopefully result in diagnosis is being performed a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, another thing that most people um, think of when they think of ticks is they think it has to be a deer tick. And that's completely inaccurate. Any tick can carry the disease. And in fact, any size tick, so baby ticks can carry it. So ticks the size of a decimal point can carry Lyme's disease and all the tick-borne diseases. Um, so the majority of ticks also carry more than one disease. Um, so that's another issue we have is most of the testing is just for Lyme's disease in general. So when I talk about Lyme's disease, kind of a little more later on, I'm gonna encompass all the 
tick diseases that it carry, but really Lyme's disease is one in 99 diseases wow. that we know of that ticks carry. So most likely, if you're diagnosed with Lyme's disease, you probably also have a co-infection as well. And that's really important because if you're lucky enough to get diagnosed with Lyme's disease, and if you're lucky enough to get proper treatment for Lyme's disease, if you're not treating those other possible 98 scenarios, you're never gonna achieve optimal health because you're not treating the whole picture. Mm. Um, I'm just going through my list of facts Go here. right for it. <laughs> um, this kind of brings up standard medical testing is very inaccurate. Um, the Western blot is considered kind of the gold standard. It's usually only 30% accurate, which is very, very low. Mm. That's 70% of the time it comes back as a false negative reading. Um, you really, mostly it's going to come up positive after a brand new bite. And most people don't start experiencing major symptoms until several weeks or even a couple years later. Wow. Um, so the standard testing is very, very inaccurate, which is a big problem. We often think about kind of looking for that bullseye rash when you get a tick bite. If you get that bullseye rash, that means you probably have, you know, could have limes and go in. It is true, but it's estimated that less than 40% of people actually develop a bullseye rash. So just looking for a bullseye rash after a tick bite is not applicable at all and really not a good idea because most people aren't going to develop it. Mm. Um, um, most practitioners are not trained in Lyme's disease and how they are trained in Lyme's disease. Um, the information has not been updated since the 80s. And so most practitioners, unfortunately, either wrongfully diagnose something or they just don't even know the correct testing to do, which is going to lead to the majority of the population that does have Lyme's disease to be misdiagnosed like my situation mm -hmm. was or even if you are diagnosed to have completely inaccurate treatment for it, which results in the progression of the disease as well. So it's really important if you can, um, if you're dealing with Lyme's disease, is try to find a, an actual Lyme specialist. And that's really hard because sometimes they'll say they're a specialist, but if you actually look into the background, they're not, they're just kind of put into that role. Um, most Lyme specialists are gonna be um, private clinics. Do you, are there any avenues or kind of a database where people can find somebody or is it just the research on their own? It's kind of just the research on your own. Word of mouth um, is really the best way to go and asking around. Mm -hmm. So, but no, that is a little, that is an issue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely is finding somebody that actually really knows what they're, what they're talking about. Um... Um, that also kind of leads me to another um, crazy, I don't know the exact statistics, but we are discovering more and more that we're thinking that a lot of MS patients that are younger, like 50 years or younger, are actually being wrongfully diagnosed with MS when they actually have Lyme's disease. Because wow. Lyme's disease very much mirror images um, an MS patient. And what you'll see is they'll diagnose someone with MS, they'll put them on an MS protocol and treatment, and just months and years go by and they're just not getting better. And that's when they're like, well, hey, wow. maybe this is Lyme's disease. But by that point, the disease has spread so aggressively that once again, it's very hard to treat. So it's very, very misdiagnosed as other neurological disorders. 
or you're just told that you don't have anything going on with you, mm-hmm. which was my situation. Which you can identify with very much <laughs> <Yes>. so. <laughs> um, this is really important. This is um, A lot of people don't know this. Lyme's disease is transmittable, so it can cross the placenta if you're pregnant. It can um, be transferred through breast milk, and it can be transferred through partners. So, um, you know, a lot of the times if you are going to a practitioner that knows what they're doing, they'll say, hey, you need to get, you know, your spouse or your partner, you know, tested and treated along with you. Because otherwise you'll just keep passing it back and forth between each other. Wow. Yeah. So it's very, very important information Mm -hmm. (laughs) to know because most people, not even most providers know that unless you're a Lyme specialist. Um. Um, another kind of scary fact is that um, not all the tick diseases are screened when you donate blood. Mm. And so there's one called bapiosis, which is a red blood cell eating disorder. Um, the most common two ways you can get the disease is being bitten by a tick or getting donated blood or having wow. a blood transfusion. So um, right now, not all diseases, all these tick diseases are being screened or recognized as an issue, even with you know, donated blood, um, which is a big issue. Um, um, Sorry, I'm kind of like stumbling a little bit here. No, go for it. There are um, stages to the disease, which some people don't recognize. And so a lot of the myths you get is it, well, it's just a disease where you're really tired, right? And 21 days of an antibiotic can clear it out. That's not true for all situations. So a lot of diseases actually in medicine are going to have stages to it. And the most comparable, the most well-known would be cancer. Cancer is stage one through four. And I think it's well-known that stage one is um, not as nearly severe as stage four is. Mm -hmm. That's how a lot of diseases work, actually. And Lyme's disease is no different. So there's a stage one all the way up to stage three. And I would even argue that there should be uh, up to a stage four because the difference between the, the symptoms in stage three can be quite drastic. So... Um, you know, Lyme's disease isn't as simple as, oh, you're really tired and you can take 21 days of doxycycline. Maybe if you catch it at the very, very beginning, but as you advance in the stages, it gets a lot more severe and it's affecting a lot more of the body. Um, most Lyme's disease is not treatable. That's another thing. You can just take doxycycline and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Potentially, if you catch it early enough, it might be treatable. That's kind of, you know, something we don't really know, especially amongst Lyme specialists. They're a little hesitant to say that it's treatable. But we do know that a lot of diseases aren't technically treatable. Epstein-Barr virus isn't treatable. Once you have the virus, it goes dormant. And if you get a really weak immune system, it can resurface. Um, Cold sores. That's a virus that once you have it, it goes dormant. It doesn't go away. It goes dormant. And if your immune system is compromised, it resurfaces again. So Lyme's disease is mostly, I think about amongst a lot of healthcare professionals that understand Lyme's disease, um, more even no matter what the stage is, is most likely is a disease that you're trying to get to go dormant, but to be aware that it can resurface if your immune system is compromised. Mm. Um, Lyme's patients, so this is a very sad statistic, Lyme's patients are going to have the highest rate of suicide than almost any other diseases out there. So we're talking about diseases where people have absolutely no cure 
and the process of deterioration is awful. ALS, some Parkinson's, some dementia, some terminal cancers, the painful terminal cancers, they don't even tend to have as high of a rate as suicide as Lyme's patients. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, Lyme's is so misunderstood by the population and by the medical community that most of these patients are told that they're kind of crazy, to be mm-hmm. honest, that they're crazy, that they're exaggerating, that they're seeking attention, which can really lead to isolation and just feeling a loss of self-worth. And then it also, Lyme's disease, which most people don't know, affects the brain. It's a neurological disorder and the brain is part of the neurological system. And so it does deteriorate and affect the brain. And so you are going to see some pretty big behavioral and emotional changes in Lyme's patients and later stages that can result in more um, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Mm. So those two combined (laughs) makes it unfortunately um, a higher risk for suicide. And the one thing that most people don't know, not to scare everybody, but Lyme's disease untreated is fatal. So um, it takes a while for the average person. It's not going to happen over a couple months or, you know, even a couple of years. Usually it can take, you know, 15, 25 years. But if it is left untreated, it can go to the heart and it can cause heart failure. It can go to the brain and it can start causing seizures, which can cause brain damage and other issues as well. So it is something to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say just in this bit of conversation with Danielle's facts, I grew up in northwestern Wisconsin. Like we grew up in the woods. Ticks were just an, a very, very common, if not everyday occurrence. Mm-hmm. And so much of that I had no, no idea. Yes, and there's even so much more, but those are kind of the most important mm-hmm. parts that I thought we should cover. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. And again, like you said, it's not meant to be doom and gloom Mm -hmm. and scary, but it is serious and it is something that if you are impacted by some of these things, it might start to raise some red flags that maybe that's something that you should dive into a little bit more. Yes, definitely, definitely. And to also, if you know anybody with Lyme's disease, just to get a better understanding Mm -hmm. of what they're going through and what's going on, because it can be pretty scary when it's advanced. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would break it down just a little bit and talk about the different stages. Please do. So stage one usually is going to happen between the first month or two after being bitten. This is really, really hard because like a lot of things, it mimics just not feeling well. Mm -hmm. So you're mostly going to have flu-like symptoms. Just run down. You got some fatigue. You might be nauseous. You're not keeping food down as well. Might be a little lightheaded. You may or may not have a bullseye rash. You may or may not have a different type of rash. A lot of patients report just having different types of rashes in general. Um, But once again, you may or may not have those things. For myself, I did not have a rash. I could have been unwell. I don't know. I was taking board exams. <laughs> so that's a very stressful time <laughs> very in your stress- life. You know, you easily can brush things off as... Especially you know. symptoms like that. Symptoms yeah. that are so common of, you know, who isn't run down. So many people are from yep. day to day. And it's, you know, looking back, it's so frustrating because I knew at the time as a provider in this area that one of four people had, you know, probably has been exposed to this degree disease and I remember now looking back that I had that tick bite and I don't know why it didn't dawn on me just to go get tested right then and there Mm -hmm. but once again even as a provider I knew very little about it and so I waited for the bullseye rash Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I know now 
hardly ever happens. Um, so that's stage one. Usually if you can catch it that early, um, herbs can work fantastic. Um, antibiotics can work fantastic. Once again, we don't know, does it totally wipe it out? Possibly. Or does it make it go dormant right away? Either way, like you usually recover pretty quickly. Stage two, this is going to be, now this is, these stages are going to be different depending on the person's body chemistry, their stress levels, just what's going on in their life. But stage two estimate is going to be around, you know, month two up to probably five years, six years possibly. And there's a lot more symptoms than what I'm going to point out. But these are kind of the big ones. Stage two, you may or may not start having joint pain. Um, the classic symptom is that migrating joint pain. Um, if your joint moves around, that's a sign you may have limes. That's not necessarily true. I didn't have that at mm -hmm. all. Uh, what we know now is Lyme's really loves inflammation. So if you have areas of past irritation or inflammation to an area, that's probably why it's migrating from mm -hmm. joint to joint. I was young, healthy, regular chiropractic care. I didn't have any joint pain. I didn't have any issues. Um, but you may start to notice just um, migrating joint pain. You're going to start to see um, nervous system dysfunction, nerve issues. So you're going to start to notice um, numbness and tingling into the fingertips, possibly into the legs, areas of the arm, area of the legs. You might notice some um, face numbness. Um, it's interesting, though, because as I was going through this, you know, I was going through it as a patient, but also as a provider. So I had a unique perspective of how this went down. It's not like you wake up and all of a sudden, oh, my fingers are numb. It's not that black and white at all. It's actually a very slow process. And looking back now, I remember being like, oh yeah, I remember walking one time and being like, the bottom of my foot's numb. That's weird. And then it went away. Mm -hmm. And then one time I remember trying to type and be like, oh, I'm having a hard time getting my fingers to type on the keyboard. And then it went away. It's not, you know, this boom, automatic, oh my gosh, I have tingling and numbness. And it doesn't progress in a linear fashion which also makes it very hard as well. But you're gonna to start to see some of those neurological issues. You're gonna to start to see some headaches as well. I call them limey headaches. They're kind of a very specific type of headache. It's where your lymph nodes in your neck really swell up. Um, the pain kind of goes from the middle of your back all the way up to the base of your skull, all the way up to your eye. Your eyes can get all puffy. Heat doesn't really make it feel better. Ice doesn't make it feel better. Movement doesn't really make it feel better. Stage two is gonna start out you know, a little less severity. Once you get into stage three, that can be pretty debilitating. You're gonna to start to feel exhaustion. So exhaustion is different from fatigue. So fatigue, you're really run down, mm -hmm. okay? But usually with a little bit of rest and taking care of your body, you're going to catch up on that. When you are exhausted, if you think of a gas tank, your gas tank is always at E. And it doesn't matter how much you fill it, it's just draining right back out because your body's taking every bit of nutrients and every bit of rest to use it and immediately utilizing it. So um, and there's different levels of exhaustion, but there is a difference between exhaustion and fatigue. Mm -hmm. Exhaustion, you don't feel better if you sleep. You don't feel better if you feed your body good, good nourishing food. You're weak. You have a hard time opening your eyes. You have a hard time moving. And once again, there's different levels to it. But that's going to be the start of exhaustion where you're just like, 
I just rested for a week. How come I don't feel any better? And there's several diseases that can cause exhaustion, not just Lyme's, um, but it is important. It drives me crazy when people are like, oh, Lyme's disease, you're just tired a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, 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 no. There is a huge difference between medical exhaustion and fatigue. I think until you experience that, you really can't wrap your head yeah. around what that is like. Yes, you you can't. You really can't. And even when you try to explain it, it's just one of those things, unless you've experienced it, it's just so hard to understand what it's actually like. Mm-hmm. You're going to start to have swollen lymph nodes, not just around your neck, but we have lymph nodes in our extremities or arms and legs as well. They're going to start to become enlarged. You're going to start to retain inflammation throughout the body. Um most people I don't think really, you know, we think of inflammation like when we have a sprain or something as being very large and inflamed. It's not going to be that noticeable, but someone who works with the body musculoskeletal system should be able to pick up right away that you do have inflammation distributed throughout the whole area. You're going to start to have heart palpitations where your heart starts just beating um, very rapidly for no reason. Not necessarily associated with any form of anxiety or panic at this point, just you're having some little bit of heart irregularities and your vision could possibly start changing as well. So that's stage two. Once again, there's more to it, but that's kind of like the big things. Mm -hmm. And then stage three, this is the one where I think really we could probably have four stages um, because some of these are pretty bad, um, but they just lump it into three stages. So here you're going to have extreme exhaustion. And what do I mean by extreme exhaustion? So I had misdiagnosed Lyme's for about 10 years. So I have stage three Lyme's disease. And at my worst, my exhaustion would be so bad that I would have to sit down in a chair with my arm up on a bathroom sink, leaning on my arm and brush my teeth. Like I physically couldn't, I couldn't even bend over the sink. Like I didn't have the strength. I would have to sit in the shower to bathe. That was the only way. And I'd reach up and I'd lather my hair maybe three times, and then I'd have to bring my arm down to rest. And bring it up and lather a couple, two or three times, and then I'd have to bring it down to rest because there's just no strength there, so much weakness. Sometimes you'd be so exhausted that you literally couldn't move or open up my eyes, which sounds crazy. But it's true, it's like having 50 pound weights just lying all over your body and lying on your eyes. And you try so hard to open it up and you just can't. Like, there's such a disconnect between, you know, what you what your brain is telling your body to do because you just don't have the strength to do it. So at this stage, you can experience very extreme exhaustion. Um, you're going to start to see a lot of brain issues as well, emotional and behavioral. So you're going to start seeing significant short-term memory loss, like very, very significant. A lot of patients in this stage start to panic that they're having early Alzheimer's or they're having dementia um, because you literally, you know, usually when we joke about forgetting things, it's somewhere in the back of the mind and Mm -hmm. we know that. And it's hard to describe it, but when you have short-term memory loss, With this, you literally have no recollection at all that you ever did this one activity. So I could, my husband could maybe ask me to go grab something for him. And before I'd go in the bedroom and if I got distracted, I forget. And then I would come out and I'd be like, he'd be like, oh, did you grab that one thing for me? I'd be like, oh man, I forgot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) With the short-term memory loss and Lyme's disease, you go into that bedroom, you get distracted, you come back out and he's like, 
oh, did you grab that one thing for me? And I'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't have any recollection of you asking me to do anything. And this could be within a minute, which is very scary. You get confused very, very easily. You have a lot of brain fog. You actually have difficulty speaking, which sounds ridiculous, but it's called word search. You'll talk and you won't be able to form the words or know what words you want to say. Um, so you don't sound very smart, you know, when you talk to people. A lot of family members or friends of people with severe Lyme disease, you know, that's one of the first things that they notice is they just don't seem as intelligent mm -hmm. as they once used to. You seem really out of it because you are out of it. You're just trying everything you can just to focus on talking. And sometimes you just can't form words. The exhaustion's too heavy. The brain fog's too heavy. Um, and it's just, you don't have that cognitive ability. It's been taken away from you. You get lost very easily, even in places that you know you've been to a million times. Once again, that's that short-term memory issue. You start running into objects. So you're going to start to have um, chronic ear pain. You're going to start to have chronic sore throat as well. The chronic ear pain kind of plays into that, you know, um, visual imbalance as well. You start to um, have an anxiety and panic attacks for no reason. So panic attacks are usually brought upon by some sort of stimuli and or um, PTSD, some sort of trauma or history that comes to surface. That may also be the case if you have those in your past with Lyme disease. But if you don't, it literally is just your neurological system taking over. And for me, I started experiencing, I mean, I would probably have five to six panic attacks a day. And I understood what they were. I knew how to deal with it. But I would just tell my husband, I don't understand. Like, there's nothing. This is like a physiological process. Like, I can feel my body, my nervous system just taking over and just freaking out. And I'm not stressed. There's, I mean, not anything normal. There's no significant history here. Like, I feel like this is something beyond myself. Like, this is a chemical process. I could just, I don't know how to describe it, but I just knew that it was something chemical. And I was like, my body's freaking out about something. And I don't know what it is, which is exactly what it was. It was the Lyme disease destroying the nervous system. For somebody who has experienced a panic or anxiety attack, that in itself is like running a full marathon. Mm -hmm. So I cannot imagine coupling that with what is already extreme exhaustion. Yes. Yeah. It will knock you down. It will just completely wipe you out. Um, I know at one point I had to have my husband um, take off some time off of work. Luckily I had some vacation days because my nervous system was just on such an overdrive and having, you know, just a couple panic attacks a day with the exhaustion. I couldn't function. I was like, I need you to stay home to help take care, mm -hmm. you know, of our toddler um, just because I cannot do it. You also are going to have sensitivity to sound, light, and touch. Um, you know, I would walk into a room and if my toddler was playing and my husband was on the phone and the TV was on, I literally thought my head was going to explode and I'd almost start crying. Just being like, only my toddler can be the one making noise because he's a toddler and mm -hmm. he can, but everything else has to be shut off. I just can't handle it. The volume of a TV would have to be under 10. And 
I mean, it, very, very low to the point where my husband's like, I literally can't hear what they're even saying. And I was like, I can't listen to it any longer. My head is going to explode. I feel like I'm going to cry. Um, light sensitivity definitely can affect you. Touch, so that's a really interesting thing as well. Um, I've had patients who've experienced this too. You just have somebody touch you, and usually touch is a very comforting thing, especially from the ones we love. But if, you're, if your nervous system is on such a high overdrive, when somebody touch you, it literally feels like nails on a chalkboard. Your hair stands up and you just, your body tenses up and you just start cringing. It's just like, I can't be touched. Like, please don't touch me. Um, and I've heard that from multiple patients as well. So just... How does that work with a toddler? So for me, um, mo 99% of the time... With Tristan, it did not affect me. There were some times where I was like, oh my gosh, I need, I can't be touched. And so luckily I'd be like, dad, you mm -hmm. know, like give him a lot of attention or grandma and grandpa, give him a lot of attention. But luckily I think just that mother bear instinct took over and I was able to override that. But anybody else, it was just, you can't, I'm, I will start crying. I can't physically handle the sensation of somebody touching me. How did that work as a chiropractor? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's, so for me, I don't know about everybody. It's somebody touching me. Okay. So as a chiropractor, I'm the one doing the healing, the hands on touch. So it was just fine. But if someone were to reach over and touch me, then I'd probably be on hot, you know, my hair would stand on edge and I would just be like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't physically handle the sensation. And it's not that you don't want to be touched. Or that, you know, psychologically you're not okay with it. It's literally the sensation, the skin sensation of, and your nerves over firing that makes it like, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. Um, you are, you can start experiencing um, bipolar. So you can turn bipolar if Lyme's disease. Once again, it's going to really affect your behavior as well. Um, OCD. So you start um, fixating on things really, really badly. You can um, definitely have sleep disorders, vertigo, dizziness, difficulty breathing. It's called air hunger, which you might actually hear in me a little bit as I talk, um, just because it does affect your red blood cells. <laughs> and so when you talk, when you walk, no matter how much shape you're in, you're going to kind of be gasping for breath a little bit. It's not going to be relieved with an inhaler. Um, they kept giving me an inhaler for years. That did nothing. Um, and it turns out that's one of the symptoms of Lyme's is called air hunger. Weight gain or loss is common. It can be significant amount of weight gain because of all the inflammation or a significant amount of weight loss, just depending on how your body's responding. You can get seizures. You can get tremors. Um, you can get pain in your chest and your ribs. You're going to notice neurological symptoms mostly on the left-hand side. So when I finally went to a specialist, I had no reflexes on the left. Like they were completely gone. And I was hyper-reflexic on the right-hand side. Why on the left side? We don't know. We don't know. We just know it's more common to um, affect first the left-hand side before it affects the right. And is it typical then to be more... Um, hyper aware on that right side because it's making up for the left yes, side? Yes, I do believe so. I don't have any scientific would, research it, to would back that That would up. make a lot of sense. Yeah, but no, definitely. I think that's why I was hyper reflexic on the right hand side. And once again, I'm a chiropractor. Neurology is my life. So when I went to this and I didn't have any reflexes on the left, I was blown away. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe that. 
Um, but, and I'll kind of go over this later if we have time. I think I have a good theory as to why <laughs> that would be. Um, you're going to have tons of neck pain because once again, your lymph nodes are gonna just always be swollen. You can develop heart disorders, heart failure um, can result from this. You're gonna have hormone imbalances. Um, children, possibly on, with Lyme's, can tend to be more on the autism spectrum. You can develop a stroke. Um, definitely decline in intellectual function is apparent in stage three. And weirdly, you can get rage attacks, which I actually experienced. And anybody who knows me, I am like the least confrontational person It is very ever. true. She is extremely <laughs> meek, like in mild and not in a bad way, no. but like by nature. And I don't like raising my voice even in excitement. <laughs> like I'm just naturally softer spoken. I'm projecting now because we're trying to do a talk here, but generally, you know, it's pretty low. <laughs> I don't like raising my voice even when I'm happy. And so that was you know, huge for me because I'm very methodical. I will always think before I talk, always. And to the point where, you know, if I get in a disagreement with my husband three days later, I'll come back and be like, well, I've thought about this thing and, you know, this is why I got upset. And he'll be like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> I have forgotten this conversation yes. happened. Because <laughs> I don't want to speak before I thoroughly think out things. And when I was at my worst with Lyme's disease, and it would have to be something that was deep-rooted, um, but it would be burning rage. Like, I would feel a fire in my gut, and that fire would just come up, and I did not think before I spoke. And I was, I would say, verbally aggressive, and some people can get physically aggressive as well. And that is the disease. It's not the person. Mm -hmm. um, and... Yeah, so that's just some of the things. That's just some. That's just some. It's not even the entire list. Um, one interesting thing in stage three is that um, you'll have the inability to process alcohol. So your body really has a inability to detox. Um, alcohol's toxins as well. You become very toxic. Your liver doesn't function as well. Um, and so you don't get rid of things no, that you normally would be able to. And so you'll have I'll have patients that say you know I more so than just I used to be able to do this when I was 21 mm -hmm. and now I'm in my 30s but being like one day you know a month ago I had four drinks and I was perfectly fine and then this last week I had a drink and I was sick for days and it cycles like that and that's a very common symptom of Lyme's disease it's not going to be constant and that's a good point with Lyme's disease too it's not constant it's not as cyclical. So I would start, no, I did start noticing a pattern for about a year and a half that about every two months for about two weeks, I'd be unable to work, unable to move, unable to function. And then I'd get a little bit of burst of energy and I'd be functioning kind of for about two months. And then it would start up again. You're not feeling this way all the time. And it could actually cycle every other day one day you're perfectly fine and the next day you're on the couch unable to move for women does that correlate at all with their yes. menstrual cycle yes it definitely does definitely does because you're you're utilizing energy when you have that cycle you're also experiencing blood loss with that cycle and so you're definitely going to be way more affected mm -hmm. with limes during the cycle time 
So if we can go back, um, when Danielle was talking about who she was, she said she was a mother, a wife, she owns her own business. How in the world are you doing what you're doing and dealing with what you're dealing with? Yeah, so it took a very long time, um, but I had to just scale back. Mm -hmm. I had to be okay with scaling back. So part of the reason that sometimes I get frustrated with myself and being like, I'm a chiropractor. Like, even though I didn't know the ins and outs of Lyme's disease and how severe it is, I do know neurology. And how on earth could I let those neurological symptoms be become so advanced? And I was going to specialists. Um, but even besides that, before I was the one that came to the realization that I probably had Lyme's and sought out a specialist in it, you know, at that point, I was very, very, very sick. And I was just, you know, it took me about nine, 10 months of sitting there thinking like, how did it get that bad? I'm a physician. How did it ever get that bad? And reflecting, and I think this is very common of driven entrepreneurial females, <laughs> most of the symptoms I was perceiving as faults. Mm -hmm. I wasn't perceiving it as a symptom. If I, you know, in grad school, I started having difficulty taking tests and regurgitating information and with memory recall. And I didn't see that as, oh, there's something going on because I haven't had an issue before. I looked at it as, oh, I'm not as smart as my mm -hmm. colleagues. Or, oh, I'm not handling the stress of being a business owner like I should. Or I'm not handling being a business owner and a mom and a husband that travels for work who's gone five days a week. Yeah, we also didn't mention that part <laughs> that she basically single moms all week long because her husband travels. Yes, yes. Five days a week five for days a work. Week. Yes, he does. He does. Um, and so I do think that it got as advanced as it did in my situation um, just because I was thinking that all these things were faults. I did not recognize you know, these severe things as actual symptoms. And so when you recognize something as a fault, if you're a go-getter, what do you do? You try to push through it mm -hmm. and you try to find, like you try harder. So you try harder and you try harder, which just weakens you even more. And so it finally took the Lyme specialist, my diagnosis and her saying, really you should be on work disability, but I can tell that you're not going to be any good at that. <laughs> and so try working just 10 hours a week. And I had to make the decision right then and there just to let it go. Just to let let it go and whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And that's all I'm able to do. And um, so it's a lot of just letting go of expectations for myself. It's not easy <laughs> at all. I mean, it's a daily struggle. But I'm a lot better than what I was a year ago. Because I would have just forced my way through it and I just would have ended up so sick I would crash on the weekends when my husband was home every weekend just absolutely crash um and just cry all the time because I was out of pure exhaustion mm -hmm. um it wasn't emotionally upset it's just pure exhaustion that would cause me to break down and cry so um it's still hard of course but it's just recognizing that I have to just let things go and what will be will be and I have to, I'm getting a lot better at recognizing my body as well. I'm getting a lot better at recognizing the different types of tick diseases that I have and the specific symptoms for those and what I need to do and how I need to scale back. Well, how does mindset come into your healing journey? Because 
from knowing you, mm-hmm. um, and if anybody does, she is, Danielle is an extremely optimistic person. Mm-hmm. Um, she puts on a really good front. When I ask her how she's doing every day, she smiles and says good, and you know that she is a bold-faced liar, mm-hmm. but she's, <laughs> she's trying really hard. But she, like, you really do, I don't feel when you say that, that, like, I, that is just who you are. And even earlier you said, if you're lucky enough to get diagnosed, Mm -hmm. and I know that there's many layers to that, but that's a very optimistic mindset and outlook Mm -hmm. on things that you're really struggling with. Yes, it definitely, because it affects you such, in such a cognitive way, Um, I was lucky enough, randomly, when I first started experiencing these emotional behavioral changes, I sought out a holistic um, counselor, and this counselor ended up with severe Lyme's disease. And so that's been wonderful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But she told me right from the beginning, you know, right when I first started, you know, getting the diagnosis and going to her, she was like, don't look into Lyme's disease at all she's like don't read anything about it because what's going to happen especially with the disease is what the further you dig into it the more it's going to consume you and she was like I don't think you should be on work disability because you're just going to sit there and it's just going to consume you and that's kind of what you know my line specialist said to me too based upon my personality she's like this is a disease that can really consume you and if you allow it to it's going to put you in a very dark place because once you start really thinking about how it's affecting the body and how severe it is it's already making things dark in your brain anyways it just can put you into a dark tunnel that you could just dig down 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 and so you have to just <laughs> have to just try to be as positive as you can mm-hmm. otherwise it can just spiral you into just absolute darkness do you have any tools or any resources that you use in that space? Meditation for me, guided meditation. Um, one has been fantastic for helping with the insomnia, but also just to kind of help, you know, lower the blood pressure down and to calm things down and to recognize that, oh, my reaction right now isn't me normally. This is limey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so my husband and I joke because he used to be like, not meaning anything by it, but being like, I think you're acting a little irrational right now. That would make me very angry. (laughs) Very, very angry. But now if I get really fixated on something or maybe not thinking as clearly as I should, he'll be like, you know, I think, I think you're a little limey at the moment. And it's just a soft enough way for me to step back and be like, you're right. I think I am being limey at the moment. And that helps ground me and it helps me to know okay, this isn't me, this is the disease, like let's just take a second and calm down. If Lyme's disease, because it messes with your cognition, it can lead to dark places, you tend to have very negative emotions. And so I know when I'm having a little bit of a flare up, I'll just think negatively one thing after another. You know, like that even if nothing negative is going on, I'll just have these dark, dark thoughts, not like suicide or anything, but just negative thoughts negative thoughts about myself and then I'll just stop and be like that's not me this is the disease (laughs) it's almost like an out-of-body experience yeah step out of that and realize that yes and you have to otherwise it's just going to bury you down Mm -hmm. um so that's one way is meditation and just recognizing the symptoms of the disease and when you're actually experiencing those symptoms and just taking a step back and being like this isn't reality this is a false reality that I'm living. I need to bring myself back into reality. 
What has been the biggest thing that has helped you in your process of healing? Having people who understood. (laughs) That was huge. And, you know, it's most people don't. They -hmm. just don't. But the few people who are, you know, my husband from the very beginning has been 100% understanding of what's going on. And he says, I know the difference. I know that you're a completely different person at your worst of limes than when we first met and Mm -hmm. that there was something going on. Otherwise, you know, people meaning, well, you're just so stressed. (laughs) You know, maybe you have postpartum depression. Maybe you got some emotional, you know, imbalances going on. Maybe some, you know, bigger psychological things going on. And that would just make me want to throw a vase at a wall and being like, yeah, no shit. I have some psychological things going on. There's like something really wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Because for so long, I'd be like, there's something wrong with me. And I don't know what it is. And I was too sick to figure it out. And there'd be times, and I've heard this exact same thing from patients. There'd be times I'd be lying there crying and being like, John, I I don't want to be exaggerating here, but I'm dying. I feel my body shutting down. Like all every system in my body is being affected by something and nobody can figure out what's wrong with me. And so that's really, that was the hardest part of the disease, I think. And then, so the best part of the thing that's helped me the most is luckily having a husband who 100% understands mm-hmm. and some close family too as well. And that's why I really wanted to bring Danielle on here because there again in the beginning she blew me away with the misinformation that we know and that mm-hmm. we hear and that so many people are struggling with this and to get the perspective of somebody who is in it and how isolating and frustrating and devastating this is to your life like you're a young woman. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And, you know, thankfully I had an OB that was like, something's weird with your blood. And I've always kind of thought about it too, because I understand blood work and it just, you know, your basic CBC, which is your basic blood work would just be the inverse of what you would normally expect for iron deficiency. And I just kept being told over and over, you're iron deficient. So I would go to hematologists, blood specialists, <laughs> I would go to these hematologists and they'd be like, well, I can tell by your numbers there's nothing wrong with your blood. You just need to eat more iron, maybe some iron transfusions, and you're stressed. I just kept being told over and over again, you're stressed. You need to handle your stress better. And there is an issue with that because, one, you're misdiagnosing, but, two, you're putting the blame kind of on the person. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought. Well, I am. Maybe I am stressed. Maybe I can't handle life. Maybe I can't handle being a business owner and a mom, and that's a single mom five days a week. Maybe I can't handle it, but I know other people that can. So then what's wrong with me that I can't do this? Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I had this tick disease, vapiosis, which is a red blood cell eating disorder. Literally, I had a disease eating my red blood cells, (laughs) and that is why I was chronically anemic. And it was so frustrating that it would be to hematologists in this area that didn't it wasn't even on their radar and I just kept having an OB that's like keep going to different people like there's keep advocating for yourself yeah there's something wrong he's like I don't know what it is but there's something wrong with your blood and I had a moment of clarity just a, a specific like 30 minute part of a day where just suddenly the fog lifted for whatever reason and I had just a little bit of energy and I was sitting there reflecting on how sick I am and all of a sudden I was like I have to have Lyme's disease. 
Like I have to, I know the basic tasks have come back negative, but I have to have it. It's all adding up to this. And so that's when I searched and found one of the top lines, functional medicine doctors, MDs, who happen to be, you know, 40 minutes away. Thank goodness. <laughs> yes. And how long was it a wait to get in to see her? Yeah. So it's a, it was a four month wait. Four months. Yeah. So she's very, very booked and, um, you know, she definitely has to screen her calls because she will, she can only take the, yeah. the severe of the severe cases. So for somebody who might be having some symptoms that they're just not right or they've gone to doctor to doctor and they're just in that cycle, what is your suggestion for somebody? That is really, really hard Um, because it just depends on where you're living. Just Mm -hmm. keep advocating for your health and just trying to do your own research and reach out to um, different types of physicians. Physicians, you know, maybe with a functional medicine background, um... And, you know, typically what I've seen, um, especially with the pediatric Lyme specialist that I now refer to, they're all private clinics. Um, it's a little, it's a lot harder when you're in underneath a institutional umbrella because they're going to be restricted by just their pro- protocols and their policies and even the time, you know, that they have with you. So sometimes seeking out you know, somebody who has their own clinic, who advertises, hey, I specialize in Lyme's treatment or women's health or something like that as well can be very beneficial. Mm. Definitely, I would also advocate somebody that does a whole body approach, you know, that also treats with herbs and supplements. That combination of all of that combined. Yes. Well, for the woman who was very nervous about this and who I know it is a challenge to form words and yes. fine words. Can we just take a moment to give you a, a giant round of applause oh. for for giving us the information that you did? And um, I know that you struggle in thinking that those things are false mm-hmm. and that we don't want to slow down and that makes you less than. But I can honestly say that the woman that's sitting in front of me is one of the strongest women that I know. Um, I'm going to cry, but <laughs> you, you are doing a business, Mm -hmm. you are doing life, you are doing a toddler, you are growing a baby, and being everything that you are with this, like none of what is going on is a fault, Mm -hmm. that is the strongest thing that I have ever seen. Yeah, well, thank you. You are very welcome. Thank you. And I think it's very important for people, you know, I just think as women, the way we perceive ourselves is always as a fault Mm -hmm. and it just can make you just that much more sick Mm -hmm. and so it is one thing I can message out there besides limes is you know we can always be better people and better ourselves and sometimes we just need to push through some things but sometimes we need to take a step back and just really dissect what's going on and being like no this isn't a fault maybe this is a time in my life when I need more rest not to push through it you know, or think about the symptoms that you're experiencing and being like, you know, maybe there's something going on. If That's that a, makes sense. That makes perfect sense. It's a mm-hmm. really strong message that I hope that everyone hears no matter what your struggle is mm-hmm. in whatever realm of your life that is. Like, it's okay to have that grace and compassion for yourself. And that's how you heal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, exactly. So I always wrap up with a few questions. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I ask what your morning routine is, but um, 
I I kind of have a glimpse of what her morning routine yeah. is. So we're going to skip that one. We're going right. to ask two other questions right. only because it's very detailed and yes. crazed. So we're we're going to we're going to do some other ones. All right. I like to know what is your super weapon? Um meditation. Mm-hmm. It really really is. It helps on so many aspects. Definitely good nutrition. Yeah. Definitely good nutrition. Um, We all kind of thrive a little bit differently on different types of foods. And so I know that I function better low carb. And so if I can try to keep it low carb, lemon water in the morning. I don't know why. I just feel so much better if I have lemon water in the morning. Um, And then I always end with, what does being fierce mean to you? Being fierce is, I think, just perseverance. (laughs) Like, no matter what you're going through, persevering through it. And that could be misconstrued as pushing your way through something, right? Mm -hmm. That's not what I mean at all. Sometimes perseverance is recognizing that you need to take a step back and allowing yourself to take a step back and maybe losing some things along the way. Um, And just knowing that it will get better, that you are making the right steps steps towards a healthier you, whatever that goal is. And so being fierce is just the courage to, you know, just persevere through anything. And even if that means, you know, trying harder if you need to or taking things back if you need to. Which is usually harder. Yeah, which is usually harder. It Mm -hmm. is, (laughs) definitely. Well, I thank you so much, Danielle, for being a part of this and for giving a voice to women who are either struggling with Lyme or are being misdiagnosed or just are in life and kind of not finding that grace and compassion for themselves. So I know that your words are really going to hit true with so many women. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the Fit and Fierce podcast. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and download so you never miss an episode, and drop me a rating and review. It's the best way to support the show and to keep more episodes coming your way. See you next time.